Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are our God. I thank you that we can continually lean into you, that we can see your truth, and that your truth was written in the book of John, and that we can understand it, and that we can see it, and that we can worship through it. Lord, I pray that we would understand what it means that you are spirit, and that we would understand what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. I pray that you would open your word, and that you would just allow it to, to come off the pages, and that your Holy Spirit would work in each of us. Lord, I pray for the kids as they go down. I pray a blessing on their leaders. I just ask that they would, too, see, just see your son. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. good to be here today. I love seeing this church full, seeing people wanting to worship Jesus. And today we're in a second sermon on a series on the truth in John. So if you got your Bible with you, turn to John 4. That's where we're going to be most of the day. I'm going to start today by reading John 4, 21 through 24. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 24 is what we're going to look at today. And it says that God is spirit. And then it goes on to say that we must worship in spirit and in truth. This word must. It's not that we should or that we can, but that we must worship in spirit and in truth. Now there's a lot here, and we need to go back to the beginning of John 4 to start understanding what it means to be in spirit and in truth. Let's look at spirit first. What does John mean by the statement, we worship in spirit? John 4, 1-3. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself did not baptize, but only His disciples... He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Other places in the Bible, it tells us that everyone in Judea and Jerusalem was going out to see John the Baptist. And then right here, it's telling us, the Pharisees here, that Jesus was making more disciples than John the Baptist. Think about that. I mean, Jesus is a one-man megachurch right here. Everybody is going to see Jesus. And John, the apostle, the writer of the book of John, is 
very clear that Jesus is not baptizing. Which is only partly true because Jesus is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. He leaves the baptizing of water to His disciples for a reason. So let's look at point number one. The Holy Spirit is a critical part of worshiping in spirit. If we are going to understand that God is spirit, and how we worship in spirit, we must have the Holy Spirit working in us. Transforming our spirit. Jesus, He is changing lives. He is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. John 3.6 says this, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Right now, people are being born in spirit. Throughout history, we've seen this over and over again. And even though the the Spirit is not yet indwelling in them while Jesus is doing this, we cannot deny the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry. We cannot deny that the Holy Spirit is a gift for all. And I love how Jesus isn't just about Judah and Jerusalem. No, He's about all. You see, Jesus, He has a date with a Samaritan woman for a reason. And not that kind of date, you know, the better date. The text says that He has to go through Samaria. Now, He didn't have to go through Samaria in a physical sense. But Jesus is thinking eternal. Which takes us to number two. The Spirit is eternal. Our spirit does not die like our physical body. It's our soul. It's it's who we are. And it may be invisible, but it is real and is eternal. And it can either be with God or it can be separated God for all eternity. And Jesus, He's going to use the Samaritan woman to not only save her, but to tell you the truth about what it means to have true worship in spirit. See, the Jews, they would often go around Samaria. They would cross over the Jordan River and go through Succoth to go around it. And most of you know that the Samaritans were a small, hated community of people in Israel. This animosity stretched back to 900 B.C. The northern part of Israel had seceded from the southern part and they set up a capital in Samaria. They essentially existed as two different nations. And worse than that, the northern kingdom of Israel started separating themselves from God. And in 722 B.C., God punished them by sending in the Assyrians. And they conquered them. And when you conquer a people, especially at that time, not only would you take out their best people, but you would send your people in so they could mix and marry. And it would change their culture and their religion. Their Judaism. That's when they became the Samaritans. And then Judah, the the southern kingdom of Israel, they caught themselves thinking that they were the only Israel left. They began to view the Samaritans as compromisers or even half-breeds. That's why they didn't go through Samaria. Even though it would have saved them significant time to go and they wouldn't have had to cross the river twice. So this leads us to think, so why did Jesus tell this truth using a Samaritan woman? Number three, the Spirit is invisible and does not have physical characteristics. You see, Jesus does not look at the way we look. He does not look at anything other than our spirit. And He has a date established with this woman 
for the very same reason that he has a date with you and I. Jesus, he, he sought us out. But we have to open the door. He's seeking her, and yet she has to respond. And Jesus, he knows that she's going to accept the truth. And the truth is always the truth. Jesus is never changing. We are the ones to discover the truth that is already there. And not only is Jesus going to debunk the idea that salvation is only for the Jews, but He is going to debunk the idea that we can only worship God in Jerusalem in the temple. Number four, spirit is not limited to physical space. Around 100 B.C., a renegade Jew named Manasseh, he defected to Samaria and established new places of worship around the ancient historic sites in Samaria. Places like Jacob's Well. He claimed that the Jewish temple was corrupt. Now the Samaritans, they were kind of like a cult. They would use the books that they wanted to use and disregard the books that were too Jewish. Now the same thing often happens today. It happens with all religions, even Christianity, if we're not careful. And Jesus, He shows up in Sychar. He's going to save this woman. And now the place that He's going to do it in is significant. Not because of its salvation properties, but because it's going to break down this religious tradition being significant for salvation. He rests near Jacob's well, a place of worship for the Samaritans. And He's going to break down these barriers that we are still holding on to today. Jesus is going to use a religious site to make His point. Which was honestly very uncommon for Jesus. As you look at the Bible, in the book of Matthew, there are 36 relational encounters between Jesus and somebody else, and only one time is it done in a place of worship. And if you look at the book of Mark, there are 26 encounters, relational encounters, and only twice is it done in a place of worship. Now, I'm not against the church, but Jesus did not need the church or religious experience. He was about relational experience and true worship. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be here. This is a place where we should worship, but it should be everywhere. Our relationship leaves these walls. It's with us in our homes. It's with us us at our work. It's with us everywhere. And I'm afraid that we often get caught up in where we worship. We often get caught up in these religious traditions, and then we miss out on the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, He seeks people everywhere and he's about to seek this samaritan woman verse 7 a woman from samaria came to draw water and jesus said to her give me a drink did you know that christianity is the only religion that is not significantly relegated to a single area in the world if you look at this map christianity is the purple on this map And it is based on the predominant religion in an area. And you can see that it is absolutely worldwide. And that speaks to spirit also. The spirit is not confined, number five. It's not confined to race or status or location or even religious practice. So right now the apostles, they're gone. And Jesus, he's going to have some one-on-one time to explain the truth. And it's happened before. If you turn back in your Bible to chapter 3, you see this conversation that he has with Nicodemus. 
And as you look at these two, this contrast between these two people, I mean, Nicodemus is a religious Pharisee. He's a religious Pharisee of the highest degree, and Jesus took the time to speak to him and share with him the truth because he's seeking it out. And then we have a woman, the lowest of low, a Samaritan woman who had multiple partners. And what we should see from this is that Jesus is not confined. The Spirit is not confined. Location is not important. Male or female is not important. Status is not important. Race is not important. And even religious practice is not important. Jesus works with all in spirit and in truth. They work together. God is spirit. And we can come into His presence through a surrender to Jesus only and an acceptance of the Holy Spirit in our life. So now that we know the Spirit, what about truth? I mean, what does John mean by the statement, we worship in truth? Well, Jesus, He gave Nicodemus the truth and He gave the woman at the well the truth. John 4.10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. So that takes us to number one in the truth. Truth is a gift. Jesus is the gift. He is the truth. He is the living water. And of course, this woman, she's not quite getting it. And not even that is a prerequisite for Jesus. You see, He will help you see the truth. And right now, the woman of the well is not quite getting it. And she says, ah, you don't have anything to draw water with. I mean, this living water, it sounds interesting, but I'm not so sure what you're talking about. Don't you know this is Jacob's well? You mean that Jacob, the, the father of the 12 sons of Israel. This is a pretty important well. I'm pretty sure that this water is greater than the water you're talking about. I mean, this is like holy water. Last week I was in California. I was at a mission that was established in 1772 in San Luis Obispo. Amazing building. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And yet in the gift shop, Yes, there was a gift shop. You could buy little plastic containers of holy water. And it made me start to think, where is the focus? Is the well the focus? Is the holy water the focus? Or is Jesus the focus? Is Jesus the living water in us? Or is a mission built in 1772 the focus? Because that is just a building. Jesus must be the living water, the focus of our life. And at the same time, there was a wedding. And the wedding that was in this church was all people from Africa. Now, I have no idea why you would come all the way from Africa to California to get married. But I can promise you that you are still the same married in Africa as you are in California as you are in the Vatican. And that's the point I'm trying to make. You see, Jesus is going to fulfill all the shadows seen in the Old Testament that distract us toward religious practice. I understand why they did it, but I don't understand why we do. I mean, we can see Jesus. Do we have a relationship with Him? Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. When you drink, even of this holy water, this well that comes from Jacob's well, you will have to go back over and over again. Even that holy water in, in the mission was just water. 
Now, it may have been blessed by an earthly priest, but an earthly priest is still human. And it is not Jesus. And it does not complete. It does not solve the problem of thirst. You see, when we surrender to Jesus, we will never thirst. Jesus is the blessing. Not everything He gives us. Not even eternal life. If that's our focus, we have missed the point. We are practicing religion by focusing on what Jesus gives us rather than focusing on who He is. He's the living water. Verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Do you see that? I mean, whoever drinks of the water of Jesus Christ, whoever consumes Jesus... When you drink water, it literally becomes a part of you. Is that your relationship with Jesus? When we drink of Jesus, He gives us Him. That's the important part. And eternal life is just a byproduct of it. And Jesus, His water is not at the bottom of a well. No, it flows out. It's welling up. It's overflowing. It's absolutely amazing. Which leads us to number two. Jesus is the truth. The woman at the well, she doesn't completely get what Jesus is saying, but she wants it. I mean, she wants this truth. She has a desire for it. She wants this water. She wants to know what he's talking about. But in that, when we start to go down that path, we have to understand and be ready for the truth. Because sometimes the truth can be hard. Right now, it's about to get real. And Jesus asks her if she can go call her husband. I love how Jesus isn't ignoring her sin. This is part of the truth. Jesus redeemed our sin. He he paid the penalty for our sin, but He does not want us to live in our sin. You see the world around us. Did you know there is more religion now than there ever has been? The world, it likes the idea of eternal life. It just does not like the idea of what eternal life looks like. You see, we kind of want it to be like us. We want to live forever in our own way as our own little gods. Think about it this way. If somebody came up to me and said, you know, I kind of admire you and I want to write a biography. Now, I might be flattered. I would definitely say no. But if they're looking at me and they said, here's the deal, though. I kind of want to write it. I want to change a few things. I want to say that uh, you don't like to hunt. I want to tell you that you like the Las Vegas Raiders. I want to tell you that you lived in uh, California and that you think government is the solution for everything. And I would look at them and go, but that's not me. And they say, well, yeah, that's me. And I really admire you. And I want you to be like me. I really want to honor you with this by writing you so you're like me. And often that's kind of what we do with God. You see, we want a God that we can admire and make us feel good. We want a God that can be a little bit more smarter than we are, a little bit, God that can be a little bit more powerful than we are, a little bit more wiser than us. But that's not worship of God. That is worshiping a little bit better version of us. There is not a million different versions of Jesus. There is not my Jesus and your Jesus. There is Jesus. So let's move on. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying so. I have no husband. 
She's almost like, I got you. I mean, you don't really know me. And Jesus said, oh yeah? He responds with verse 18, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And she's like, oh no. You see Jesus right here, he's not ignoring her sin. He is going to redeem her and then love her through her sin. And this is the last time he brings it up. You see, we do not fix people by dwelling on their sin. We fix them by leading them to Christ, by letting them see Jesus who redeems that sin. Now our sin is important. Don't get me wrong. It's important to recognize and repent and draw us closer to Christ. But I'm telling you, it is pointless to relive over and over again the same sin because every time we do it, we put Jesus on the cross again and again. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to do that. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now this is not in the text, but duh. Right? I mean, imagine the conversation. She's sweating a little. And we do the same. I mean, we love God as long as it doesn't get too personal and and change the way we want to live. But as soon as Christ tries to change something in us, we start to change the subject. We often cover it up with a theological conversation that makes us look like we love God. Like we're Christian, but... Jesus here, he's not going to play the game. You see, because truth is not religion. Now, there is truth in religion, but that's not what it is. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. I don't know if you see it, but this lady is taking this argument down a theological topic that was important between Samaritans and Jews. It would be like the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism that we get caught up in this theological debate and we lose this focus on Jesus. Jesus, He's right now trying to build a relationship with her and she is directing the conversation away from Him to, to Mount Gerizim or Mount Zion. Mount Gerizim is where Jacob's well is. Mount Zion is where the temple is. But Jesus isn't going to play the game Which leads us to number four. Truth is in the relationship with Jesus. A real relationship. An intimate relationship. A healthy relationship is founded in truth. Those of you that may be divorced understand exactly what I'm saying. How do we trust? I mean, how do we have faith if there is not truth in the relationship? And Jesus, He's trying to build a relationship with every one of you. But do you lose focus on that? Because Jesus, He has this truth thing down. The question is, do we? And are we honest with Him about why we want a relationship with Him? I've seen this often in the jail. I do a jail ministry on every Thursday. And these guys, they come in. And as soon as I start getting deep, I start talking about some of the things that are affecting them. They want to shift the topic. And it's often because these guys have been in the system for a long time and they, they know the Bible. They call it this jailhouse religion. And so many of us love Jesus when it works for them, but as soon as they get out and they have a moment of freedom, they go back to their old ways. And let's be honest with ourselves, it's not just the people in jail, it's all of us in some way or some form. 
Often our relationship with Jesus is a one-way relationship. What can Jesus do for me? What can Jesus give me? It's not this bond, this intimate relationship with Jesus. A man in jail told me the other day that I needed to convince him that Jesus was the way. I told him I can never convince him. And as long as you want to dwell on the practice of being convinced, you will never understand the freedom of grace. You will never understand the beauty of a relationship. Jesus, he's doing something amazing. He doesn't let the conversation fall back into this theological, religious tradition. Jesus and his living water, his truth, it is relational. It's, it's about him and not a place or rules or laws. Jesus' life changing, he is overflowing. His truth is so abundant, it is so amazing. And only He can provide it. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Think about it. Can you imagine a Jew saying this? It would be absolutely shocking. But Jesus is not about what others perceive as truth. He's about actual truth. Jesus is about focusing on the Father and the Son, seeing truth and relationship rather than in tradition and laws. If we go back to verse 20, we see this woman was focused on the fathers like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, they're not bad, but Jesus wants us to focus on the Father. And that's where He's directing her. And that takes us to number five, the last one. Truth is in the Father through the Son. What do you have to have to be a father? Children. Now, I don't normally listen to John Piper, but this week I was listening to one of his sermons and listening to him exposit this scripture, and my next thoughts come from his words. Not only are we God's sons and daughters, but Jesus is relating the Father to himself. Now, this woman, she probably does not understand this, but John was also writing to us. Throughout history, this book of John was for every one of us also. And as he's writing, he wants people to understand that when we hear the Father, it should point us to the Son. And when we hear about the Son, it should point us to the Father. It's throughout the book of John. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. John 5.19, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. John 5.22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. John 5.23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. John 5.26, for as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. In John 14.13, whatever you ask in My name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. The Father and the Son, they are linked. Honor, life, glory is in the Father through the Son. We don't have to focus on a place of worship because we have a person to worship and the name is Jesus. Jesus is the temple. He is the object of our worship. He is the link to the Father and eternal life is in Him only. God does not have to dwell in the symbols and the shadows of the tabernacle, the temple, or even the mountain where Jacob's well is. God is spirit. God is everywhere. Jesus is God and He completes everything. And he is going to tear down the veil as he gives his life on the cross. And the Holy of Holies is accessible. 
Listen to this bold statement by Jesus, especially in this day and age where we all have our own truth. Verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Salvation is from the Jews. What that means is that Jesus is from the Jews. And he's trying so desperately to get her to relate to it. And for a little bit, she misses it. She has an incomplete understanding of who God is. Jesus is saying, you only have five books. You have the Pentateuch or the Torah. But I, Jesus, in the fulfillment of all things. And it's not just the Samaritans who miss it. All religions miss it. Even Christians miss it often. It's not about a religious practice. It's about a relationship with the only one who can actually save us. The only one that can actually bring salvation. Did you know that Islam believes that we are saved by God's mercy? Okay, I can agree with that. However, the problem is when we leave it there, when we forget about the grace. The grace is in the Son. And if there is not someone, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for that payment, then God has to change who He is. And so grace and mercy, they must work together. You cannot separate any of God's attributes. Every sin has to have a payment. And Muslims, they believe if you do more good things than you do bad things, that you can get to heaven. But only if God feels like He wants to have you in heaven. That's one of the kickers. The Quran says in Surah 23, 102-104, They whose balances shall be heavy shall be blessed, but they whose balances shall be light, they shall lose their soul. Guys, we must take the Bible at face value. The Bible is true. And I'm telling you, Islam believes that Jesus existed, but they do not believe that He was the salvation for all mankind. And that's the problem. That's the hypocrisy. Because truth is in knowing Jesus. John 8, 19. You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And truth is in honoring Jesus. John 5, 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. And last, truth is in loving Jesus. John 5, 42 for 33. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in my, his own name, you will receive him. At the end, Piper said this, If you do not know, love, or honor God, then you do not worship him. True worship is directed towards Jesus. If it is not directed towards Jesus, then it is not worshiping God. True worship is done in spirit through the Holy Spirit. John 4.24 God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I used to believe that my mom was absolutely crazy. I used to believe that Liz Ostrander was absolutely crazy. And some of you probably think that I am absolutely crazy. But I'm okay with that. I'm crazy about Jesus. And I can promise you that none of us can will ourselves to love Jesus. At that moment, something happened inside of us. The Holy Spirit gives us this ability to understand it. To have this passion and this love for Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit stirs something up inside of us. He will do a work in you. But only when you open up. And when you do, when you do, when you open up, the Holy Spirit will do something inside of you. He will take over. And then you can truly understand what it means to worship. You will truly understand the Father. You will truly understand the Son. And you will be receptive to the Holy Spirit. The reality is either your spirit can be in touch with the Holy Spirit and surrender to Jesus, or it can be linked to the spirit of this world. This woman at the well, she responded. She responded. She called him the Messiah. And Jesus said in John 4.26, I who speak to you am he. That's the question. You see Buddhists and Hindus and Jews and Islam and atheism, they're all looking for a God that works for them, but none of them have embraced the Messiah and that's the only way. They may believe that Jesus existed, but they do not see Him as God. And if you do not surrender to Him, and you do not know Him, and you do not love Him, and most definitely if you do not honor Him, then you do not have Him working in you. Do not tell me that all religions lead to the same God. I am telling you that Jesus is the only way. And those disciples, they made their decision. John 4, 27, and then His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? This would be like me hanging out with a Raiders or a Chiefs fan. Or maybe a little more serious, like a Ukrainian hanging out with a Russian right now. You see, but what brings people together is Jesus. When we trust Jesus, our differences don't matter because Jesus is greater than our differences. Jesus is this relational aspect and we get to have a relationship with the Creator of everything. Do you ever just ponder that? Do you ever just look at this Word and just just trust it? Do you trust the truth that He has given us? You see, Jesus is doing something in this Samaritan woman's life. Is He doing something in your life? When you hear Jesus say, I am He, does it do something in your soul, in your spirit? Because worship must be done in truth. It must be centered on Christ. And it is only made possible by the Holy Spirit, which allows this Spirit to be reborn, and which leads us to a right worship in a God who is Spirit. John 4.24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This text shows the difference between religion and relationship. Religion describes the humankind's search for God, but a relationship describes the way that that God reached down and gave us the gift of Jesus, who is the truth. Religion is physical. The core of a relationship is is spirit. And that's how we must worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are everywhere. I thank you that you are in control of all things. I thank you so desperately that I can have a relationship with you, that we can have a relationship with you. I thank you for your son. I thank you that there's no discrepancies. I thank you that you sent him to die on the cross. And through that, we can be in your presence, that we can have a relationship with you.
I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his love. And I ask that you would continually help us to glorify him, to honor him, to remember him, to, to not lose focus on him, to remember that he is the living water and only through him can we have a well of eternal life spring from us. Lord, I thank you so much. And I give you the glory and honor. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.